All right, well, good morning, church. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to you. How are we doing today? Good? Okay. Yeah, awesome. My name is Austin. Um, I'm a part of the team here at Waypoint, and yeah, I'm just so glad to be here with you all today. Um, it is just, it's such a special thing to gather together. And like, you, might, you guys might not think this, like to come on a Sunday morning and like get together and, and sing. And you're like, oh yeah, that's normal. I've been doing that my whole life, right? That's just what you do at church. Um, but it really is so special because you don't do that anywhere else, except for maybe at like a, a rock concert. I don't know if you're a concert junkie. If you're a concert junkie, then you get it. That's why you go to concerts, because it's such an awesome thing. And like there's so much behind how good that is, not just for our spirit, not just to take a moment to praise and worship God with our song, but also for our brains, for our emotional health, our mental health. It's so good for us. It fights things like anxiety. It fights things like depression. When we sing together, that's not even the point of the message today. I just wanted to tell you guys that. <laughs> like, like, and so I, I'm, I'm just listening to you all sing, and I'm, I'm, I'm humbled um, and I'm encouraged uh, just to know that um, I'm surrounded by people who, one voice as we praise and worship Jesus. So can we just get an amen for that this morning? Because it was good. Yeah. So praise God we're here today, and, and we're going we're gonna to wrap up this series. We're finishing up uh, the series of talks that we've been having around this idea, uh, 30 pieces of silver, which is the amount of money that one of Jesus' disciples, <clears throat> Judas, all right, spoiler alert if you didn't know that, okay, don't worry, we'll get there today. Uh, 30 pieces of silver was the amount that Judas traded for Jesus. And so the question we've been asking in this series um, of ourselves is what have we traded Jesus for? What are some of the things that we're tempted to trade Jesus for. And so we've been talking about that. And so all of the things that we've talked about up to this point, like our expectations, our comfort, power, they really all stem from one thing, our desire for control. That's where, that's where this whole series has been leading us towards, control. We want control of our future. We want to be able to control where things are going, where my life is heading. We want to be able to control our environment. And if we're honest, we even want to control the people around us. And so we struggle to give up control and are often willing to trade Jesus for it. And nothing, quite honestly, nothing has been more illuminating of this struggle for me uh, than being a parent of a toddler. If you're a parent of a toddler, you know where I'm going with this. Or if you've been a parent of a toddler. Um, so my daughter, Ophelia, is, um, she's two and a half, almost two and a half. Um, and a lot of the time, she is just the sweetest, cutest little thing, right? But sometimes, sometimes she's a little something else entirely, quite honestly, okay? And so, and, and again, love her to death. 
Love her to death. Literally. Love her to death. But that's the reality of the situation. And like, it's funny because people try to warn you. People try to warn you. They're like, hey, um, yeah, just, just wait. Just wait. Look out. Look out for those terrible twos. You know? You've heard that? Okay. You've heard that. And now it's like, oh, yeah, well, just wait. Because it's even more terrible threes. <laughs> and so, and so, I, and so people try to warn you, okay? And honestly, on the inside, and I, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. I, like, I have a pride issue. I'm aware of it. I'm working on it. Okay, I'm in progress. Okay, but on the inside, I'm, I'm really thinking like, we got this. We got this, right? Our kid's easy, okay? She's easy. They love to nap, okay? They eat everything we put in front of them, all right? They even sign, okay? Please and thank you, okay? Like, they, they even do all of that, right? Like, it's okay. We, I think we got this. I think we got this. And then all of a sudden, they don't love to nap. In fact, they can tell you, like, ver with their words, I don't want to nap, right? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of food you make. If they don't want to eat it, they don't eat it, okay? And almost everything we do now is me do it. No, me do it. <laughs> or everything we have, mines. As Ophie says, it's mines. Okay, and what I came to realize, what I came to realize about the stage is that um, all two-year-olds have the capacity to be gremlins, essentially. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> but also more seriously, um, is that I think part of the reason why this stage is so difficult for many of us and why it's such like, it's such like a just a bash your head against the wall kind of stage of life, um, because you, you've lost control. Or, or whatever, whatever sense of control you thought you had, really, quite honestly. Um, and so I, I like to think, I, I actually, I, I'm thinking, I'm realizing that, that, that that's a significant portion of what, what makes this season so difficult, is that control. You go from having, like, all the control pretty much at all times. I mean, yeah, like, she would eat whatever, she would nap pretty much wherever, like, whenever we put her down, like, it was all scheduled and regimented. Like, we went from all this control to now, like, what sometimes feels like we have none whatsoever. Or in Ophelia's case, from having no control to now wanting all the control in her mind. Because there is this human desire for control. But yet, also at the same time, we don't want to be controlled on the flip side of that. And so you can imagine how this might affect our relationship with God and our ability to let go of control and let God accomplish his will in us and through us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there's a, there's a moment um, where Jesus, I think, just gives us a master class in being fully human, but also fully committed and fully relinquishing control and obeying God in spite of it all, knowing the consequences. And so that's where we're heading today to wrap up this series, The Garden.
because I do think this is one of the most pivotal moments that I don't think really honestly gets talked about a whole lot. You know, we, we learn a lot about the, the, the birth and, and the death and the resurrection, but this is a very pivotal moment of Jesus' life that I think is really significant for, un, for us to understand fundamentally, fundamentally something about who Jesus is and what that means for us. And so um, I invite you to go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. We're going to be starting in verse 36. And so uh, right here we, we read, Jesus uh, went with his disciples to the place called, called Gethsemane, Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, up to this point, Jesus, Jesus has been, it's been Holy Week, Jesus has been like ticking off a lot of people, a lot of religious people the whole week, and it leads up to this Passover moment where Jesus takes his disciples, they go to this, this secret upper room, and he, he puts on a Passover meal. And he and his disciples, they celebrate Passover together. And so that's right after this meal. And they would have participated in this meal, probably because it had to be relatively secret, pretty late at night or early in the morning. And so now Jesus, they're walking into the garden. I mean, it's, it's, it's early morning, like before, before the butt crack of dawn, okay, that early. And so they go, they go to the garden. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful, sorrowful and troubled. So Jesus, he takes Peter, James, and John with him deeper into the garden. And this is actually, this is actually the third time that Jesus has taken, specifically taken these three along with him. Um, and, and that's because what we've identified is that there's 12 disciples, but there are three. There's three that are really close to Jesus. And so he begins to open up to them. We read he's sorrowful, troubled. Some translations have distressed. These three have uh, witnessed They've witnessed the divinity of Jesus in the transfiguration, right? They, they literally saw Jesus come down. They, they saw his face, glowing face. They saw it all. They saw the transfiguration, the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And in this moment, they're witnessing his humanity. I don't know if any of you have seen um, someone break down. I don't know if any of you have, have seen someone you love deeply break down. Especially if that someone is someone that you look up to, whether it's a, a, a mother or a father or a mentor. But when that happens, and you witness that, something in the relationship changes. It changes. It changes the relationship you have with that person. And it's not like you have any less respect for them or any less love for them. 
But in that moment, it becomes very clear that they are human too. They're human too. And while it breaks your heart, there is a connection that happens in that moment. However uncomfortable or scary it was or is, it's also very real. And it's something that these disciples experienced in this moment with Jesus. This moment that we read about with Jesus is real. His humanity on full display. If you've ever been in a moment like that, like I described, if you've ever been there before, you've seen it, or even your own, you've experienced it personally. Not just stressed, not just tired, but I'm talking like panic attack, anxious. Jesus gets you because he's been there. Here in the garden, we read Jesus stricken with anxiety, fighting a panic attack, sweating blood, we read. Friends, more than anyone else, he gets you because he's been there. That's the scene. So Jesus, full of sorrow, troubled, he then says to them, to Peter, James, and John, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Friends, stay here and keep watch with me. If you, um, I invite you this week, uh, when, he, when Jesus says, that, that's, a, that's a remez, it's a bit of a it's, a, it's a teaching moment that some rabbis would use to reflect on the scriptures so that when they were teaching or when they were giving a lesson, I don't know if that's what Jesus was doing in this moment, but in this moment, he quotes, he refers to Psalm 42 and 43. They get split up in our Bible, but more often than not, those two Psalms are read together. And so this week, if you have time, I would encourage you, write that down somewhere. If you're taking notes on their phone or something, write down Psalm 42 and 43, because this, this was a significant Psalm for Jesus in this moment. And it's a beautiful Psalm. A beautiful moment for those of us who have been there. Stay here. Stay with me, friends. Don't leave my side. Keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and to the ground he prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will but as you will. In this moment, Jesus falls to the ground, face down, and he prays. And he's pleading, he's pleading with his father at this moment. Father, if there is any other way, if there's any other way, maybe there is, Father, please, let's do it that way. If it is possible, may this cup 
be taken from me. The cup is a significant metaphor in the Hebrew Scriptures, especially in the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. They've often referred to the cup, this cup, as God's wrath. And it would be this this bubbling, overflowing cup of like the strongest wine that you would have to drink and take and deal the consequences for. Something that you would want. Strong, wonderful, good wine is desired. It's, it's a metaphor for God's wrath. And I, so I, I even sometimes hesitate to use that word because it's become so misinterpreted due to like the Greco-Roman influences of like Zeus and being smited by, by a lightning bolt down from the sky. And so sometimes I hesitate to use that word because God's wrath or judgment in the scriptures is most commonly translated to this idea of being handed over to something that you thought was desirable, that you had control over, that you wanted and desired. And so it's this metaphor for this cup that you want. And God says, hey, here, have it. Have it all. And so the metaphor for this cup, God's wrath, is this idea of his people being handed over to face the consequences of their own choices. This moment, Jesus isn't just talking about his death. When he refers to the cup, he's specifically referring to the suffering, the suffering of the sins of his people, of their choices. So Jesus is having this intense moment with God, and he goes on in verse 40. Then he returns to his disciples, and he finds them sleeping. And like we've kind of been in this journey where the disciples have kind of been like these people that we kind of make fun of a little bit, like they just don't get it. And like it's kind of fun to poke at them a little bit, but at the same time, it's, it's, it, it tells us something so significant about our faith, friends. These are the people that, that kick-started the church. Jesus as the rock, but these failures, these are the people that we are given the explanation for. Like, where else do you see that? That level of humility in any sort of beginning. I'm getting off topic. I'm so sorry. It's just, this stuff is, is it's so rich here. And so, um, so it's this, mo- so they're sleeping. These disciples are sleeping, Right? Jesus asked them to, to stay awake. Be with me. Just stay up with me. This is, this is a tough moment. I'm struggling. Just be with me. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour? He asked Peter. All the disciples would have heard this. He says, watch and pray to Peter. This was specifically to him. So that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you guys remember, maybe, maybe you've heard before. Peter was the one that's like, Lord, I'll never deny you. Never deny you. I, I, I often think, what if Peter had prayed three times just like Jesus did in the garden? What if? So Jesus says, watch and pray so you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, listen closely, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. 
So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Notice the difference between Jesus' first prayer and his next two. He's no longer asking if it is possible. If it is possible, maybe there's another way. He says, if it is not possible. He's come to term with the plans. In one sense, all things are possible with God. In another, some things are impossible. So Jesus prays that. If it is consistent, Father, with your redeeming purpose, with your plan, then take this cup away from me. That's the desire that Jesus has. But underneath that, more deeper than that desire, Jesus still has the desire to do the will of his Father. His deep commitment to his Father's will cannot be doubted. But in this crisis, Jesus is tempted to seek an alternative to sin-bearing suffering. And so he prays in agony, in panic, through anxiety, and he learns that, the only, that only the cross, only the cross is the way, that it is unavoidable if he is to obey his Father's will. Then he returned to his disciples. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting ahead here. Then he returned to his disciples, verse 45, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting, friends? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And what follows is the jingle of 30 pieces of silver approaching as Judas brings the temple guards to arrest Jesus. And that's the moment in the garden. There's a, there's a professor, a doctor by the name of Raj um, Raghunathan. He's the author of Why Losing Control Can Make You Happy. And he wrote this. He says, this is why in adult relationships... You can either have love, or you can either have control over others, or you can have love, not both. He says, this is why in adult relationships you can either have control over others, or you can have their love, not both. We have a God that loves us very much, and because of that, he is also a God who does not control us. And while Jesus is, is Jesus, right, fully God, he's also fully human, and we can recognize that he was fully human in the garden. He moved from asking God to change the plan to understanding and submitting to the only plan that would matter. Jesus submits control and asks the Father's will be done. When we consider what we want and how we can handle and how we can control the situations, the people, the things in our lives, Jesus models a different way 
Jesus models a way that looks out for, the, for what's best for the community as a whole rather than just for himself. Control is, is something I think our culture has become pretty obsessed with. It's been easier than ever to control our schedules, the people in our schedules, our futures. And this is all under the premise of, of what we think we can control. There's a real fear when it comes to losing control. It's a very real fear. And I think when we've been in those moments with people or whether we've been in them themselves, it's because those are moments when we are deeply afraid of the control that we are losing. when we're troubled and distressed from the sense of control we thought we had somewhere, something that was, that was foundational for us. And when that disappears, when that control is gone, when we think we've lost it, it's fear. It's a real fear. Some of us have held on for control for too long. And so I don't know if that's you this morning. But what I do know is that when you hold on to control, it's exhausting. It's tiring. It is sorrowful. And it is troubling. And you're distressed. So I get it. This fear is real. And this is a tough ask this morning when it comes to control. And maybe you're just scratching the surface of what this looks like in your life. But that's where this series lands us. Are you willing to sacrifice control, to forfeit control, to surrender control? And when you are in that moment, when you're experiencing those times of troubledness, of anxiety, of panic, can I remind you that you are with Jesus? No more are you with Jesus than when you are in those moments. Yes, Jesus is with you, right? We've all been told that. We all hear that. But I'm, friends, what I'm telling you in the moment is that when you are experiencing those things, you are with Jesus, the one who experienced something like that so much deeper at such a capacity than anything more we could ever know and understand. And there's a connection that happens there. 
something that's very real. And so to Jesus, the cup, the cup meant facing certain death, but more than that, it meant taking and suffering the consequences of sin. Today, as we approach the cup, and the bread, which we will do shortly. But today as we approach this, we remember. We remember the cup that Jesus took on our behalf. And this is strong bread. Whoever baked this, props. We remember the cup that Jesus took on our behalf. We remember his body broken, his blood shed. So today, when we come to the cup and the bread, and when we drink and eat, we are releasing control. and receiving grace. As we come to the cup, there is a handing over that is taking place. A handing over of ourselves to God the Father. And so we too need to come to the cup with the same heart as Jesus. Father, not my will, but yours. And so for you personally, As you come to the cup today, I ask you, I invite you to lay it down. Wherever the series has led you, to lay it down. Your expectations, your comfort, your power, your control, lay it down and receive Jesus, receive freedom, forgiveness, peace, grace, love. Come to Jesus and speak his name. Speak his name. And Jesus has come for you to break your chains, to drink the cup on your behalf, on our behalf, so that when we come to the cup, it's for freedom. for love, a relationship, a connection to the Father. He will be your comfort. He will be your strength. You can trust him as he is in control because he's been there. He's been there. I've asked some people to, um, to help me serve communion this morning to, uh, to do this with me. And so if, if you were one of the people that I asked to do this with me, I invite you to come up on stage and and we'll receive this together. As they come up to receive communion, there's gonna be a few stations. We're gonna have a station in this corner, a station on that side of the room, 
a station in the back, and then if you're gluten-free, um, I'll be standing up in front of this table. Um, and as we come to the bread and the cup, we'll take the bread. Yep, go ahead. The body broken for you. And we'll dip it in the cup, the bloodshed for you. Before we enter into this time of communion, um, I would like to just offer us one last piece of scripture. It's kind of been something that I've been doing with this series. Well, and so if you would, I'd, I'd just ask to, for you to get into a posture of prayer. Just a, just a space where um, you're opening up some conversation with God. During the Passover meal in Matthew, Jesus turned to his disciples. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks for it, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, as we approach the cup today, we remember you. We remember the cup you took on our behalf, and we thank you, Jesus for the work on the cross, for your sacrifice. God, we remember your pain in the garden, your pain on the cross, but we also remember the victory of the resurrection. And so we remember that, Jesus, that in you there is life and freedom, and so we come to the cup as well. We come to the cup this morning and we lay down ourselves. We lay down our lives so that we may have life. And life to the full as you promised us, Jesus. Continue to shape our hearts and minds and, and as to what that looks like for us as we navigate expectations, comfort, power and control. Jesus, guide us and lead us. We love you and we praise you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.